Welcome to Calling All Lovers, the podcast that dives into the intricacies of love and relationships and shows that love is love no matter how you identify. I'm your host, Katie Hennessy, and today I'm joined by the incredible Dr. Hannah Corral. Hannah is a neuropsychologist who literally wrote the book on how to break up with friends. Today we talk all things friendship and dive into the neuroscience behind toxic friendships. This chat was incredibly insightful and left me thinking hours after we hung up the call. Hannah also gives lots of tips on how to have difficult conversations, how to actually end a friendship, and we also answer some listener questions about a toxic friend making their way back into a friendship group and what to do when you have opposing morals and ethics with school friends. As always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. for joining me um I know we're both (laughs) a little tired today so it means a lot that you could make the time to come on the podcast that's okay thank you so much for having me Katie it's really nice to be here yeah I wanted to do this topic um for a while and I was thinking like should I get someone that has had a toxic (laughs) friend and then I was thinking it's actually like really beneficial to have someone that has um, sort of the inside scoop, I guess, yeah. <laughs> on what's actually happening in our minds. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we've all been there, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. I've read a book about it, but I've also, you know, I've been there, um, especially yeah. in my 20s. So I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it does seem like something that sort of happens more in your teenage, early 20s. Yeah, for sure. I think those are the periods where you're sort of learning, um, you know, that when you stand up for yourself and when you set boundaries and when you say something was inappropriate, you're not actually detonating a confrontation bomb and Mm. it is okay for you to communicate when someone's done the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's really interesting. Um, I start every episode with my guest pronouns. So what are your pronouns? She, her. Cool. And I've got a new little segment that I wanted to introduce, which is what is your dating horror story? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, Oh, that's so good. Oh, my God. I have so many. Oh, wow. Pick a favorite. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually really funny because I wrote I wrote How to Break Up with Friends, the book. I did it like when I went on dates. So, oh, really? um, so in 2019, I would go an hour early and sit and write. And that way I knew that no matter what happened on the date, I was always getting something out of the evening. That's so, so that's good. That's how I wrote the book. Oh um, I suppose, okay, a recent one was, um, oh, actually, no, I'll tell you this one. This is a good <laughs> one. This is when I, I had just 
gotten out of my five-year relationship. So it was my mm-hmm. first date that I'd been on since I was, you know, like, oh God, in my early twenties. And I didn't realize at that stage, Katie, that you don't have to let guys kiss you at the end of the night. Like oh, you're not obligated God, yeah. in any way <laughs> to owe them a good night kiss. And so I let this guy, I, I wasn't into him, but I, I don't know if for some, some brainwashed reason <laughs> because of the patriarchy, I was just like, yeah. oh yeah, I have to let this guy kiss me at the end of the evening. Mm-hmm. And he kissed me but oh this is so gross he had a runny nose (laughs) and I know I know and he just gushed he just gushed from his nose all over my cheek and the worst part was I was like embarrassed for him and so I didn't even I wasn't even like get off me like I was embarrassed to wipe it off my face because I didn't want to I didn't want to embarrass him, even though I was the one standing there with the fluid of his nose dripping down my cheek. And oh I was just, God. oh, it was the worst. I still shudder thinking. Wait, so you just left it on there? Like, how did you get out of that situation? Uh, I waited for him to, do, well, this is the worst part. I waited for him to look away and then I wiped it off my face. And then he came back and kissed my other side. Oh, <laughs> and so no. I got it on the other cheek. Well, oh, oh. it was just. Oh, it was the worst. It was so bad. It was, oh, but oh never God. again, never again. Yeah. So, so no yeah. second you date with that guy. Don't have to let go kiss you at the end of the date, ladies. No, no you I definitely, definitely don't. <laughs> but I always find like. You just think they would know. It's just awkward to, like, how do you sort of mm. get out of that situation? Like, I've never actually managed to get out of, like, if someone's trying to kiss you after a date, like, how do you get out of that? Now I'm so good at, I'm like a kiss ninja now. I'm just like, (laughs) no, like, if I don't want to kiss somebody, I'm just like, either I'll just say, oh, no, or I will literally turn my head away or step away Mm -hmm. from them. And I think any guy who continues to try to plant a kiss on you when you have clearly indicated no or Mm -hmm. stepped away or physically moved away, well, that's just harassment. (laughs) Yeah, 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 huge red flag. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, thank you for sharing that. That one is really really good. (laughs) What's your dating horror story? I want to hear one of yours now. Mine, actually, if we're going to go along the same like sort of token as that one, I've actually like rolled out of a car, not while it was moving, it was parked, but like rolled out of a car (laughs) so that I didn't have to kiss someone. (laughs) Oh. That's why I'm like, what are those tips? Because I've never success. Like, that's my one successful story of when I've avoided a kiss after a first date. And I just kind of like undid the seatbelt at the same time as opening the door and rolling out of the door. Oh, my God. The length (laughs) the woman will go to to avoid a kiss. (laughs) I know. And then I was just like, okay, bye. I'm really late. I've got somewhere to be. I'm just gonna like what is it FBI style roll out of your car (laughs) yeah yeah never had to do that again thankfully oh my gosh (laughs) I hope not oh okay let's get into the episode now um (laughs) I wanted to know what is it the actual definition of a neuropsychologist because the first time I heard it was actually finding your page (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, not many people have actually heard of my job, so I'm I'm really Mm -hmm. not surprised. Um, Neuropsychology is a type of psychologist uh, where we go on to specialize in the brain. So most people know a clin psych, which is the people you might sit and have like 
several sessions with. You talk about um, your core beliefs. You talk, talk about maladaptive coping strategies and, and mm-hmm. just kind of work on whatever behavior you're doing that is getting you into hot water. Um, yeah. Whereas a neuropsychologist is more like, um, I like to say we're a bit like brain detectives. So if there's something Ooh. wrong with your brain, your thinking, your memory, um, we are the people who use the pen and paper tests to figure out what part of your brain works and what mm-hmm. part of your brain is maybe having a tough time. So we diagnose things like dementia and autism and ADHD, brain mm-hmm. injuries, anything that affects thinking and memory. So we're mm-hmm. the guys who give you the legit IQ, not the IQ test that you sometimes see on Facebook, <laughs> but like the actual real IQ tests. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of brain detective work. <laughs> oh, great. How did you get into that? Oh, well, when I was um, doing my undergrad and I was doing a Bachelor of Science and one of my lecturers read a passage out of a book called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, which is an <laughs> awesome book by Oliver Sacks. And it's all about all the weird and wonderful things our brain does when like a certain part of your brain isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just like, what is this? This is amazing. And she just said, oh, well, if you if you like that, you should think about being a neuropsych. And yeah, it just wow. went from there. And here I am like. 12 years later. Wow. That is really, really interesting because I'm about to start studying um, counseling Ah. and I was looking into like the difference between counseling and psychology. And like, for me, the main thing was that like, I didn't want to have to study for so many years. And I thought that (laughs) I could still get the same sort of fulfillment out of counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. But I'd never actually even seen like like neuropsychology and sort of that on offer. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, And I will say if anyone's listening out there going, oh, study takes such a long time. It does. Yeah. But I promise you, you, it is like, you know how that all the old folks say, oh, time will pass really quickly. (laughs) It'll flash before you. It's true. It's so true. Like, you'll be like, oh, my God, six years is such a long time. And then, bam, three years are over. And then, bam, 20 years are over. Like, before you think time goes so quickly. So don't ever sacrifice what you want to do because you're worried about time. Just get in there and do it. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good (laughs) for me to hear. I'm like – because I was, I was, I sort of got to that decision because I was thinking, like, you know, I'm going to be 30 anyway in a few years, and I was like, I can be 30 with, you know, having this qualification and actually starting what I really want to do in my life. Yeah. So I was like, okay, might as well just start. <laughs> you never regret educating yourself. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's ever said I really regret doing that X Y Z course. Like people you will never regret educating yourself. <laughs> yeah. And um, is that the same for writing a book? I assume that that takes a really long time as well. <laughs> well, I mean, if you go on a lot of Tinder dates like <laughs> I was, <laughs> you can knock it out in a year. Um, <sighs> I wrote it over 2019. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and then 2020 was like about nine months of just editing the editing process and Whoa. working with my publisher. And the book came out in October 2020. Oh, my God. And why did you decide to do it on friendships <laughs> specifically? I mean, you're going yeah. on all these dates. You could have, like, chose, you know, that or, yeah, like, maybe was it a trigger? <laughs> oh, cool. Well, yeah, I would love to read that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess 
I mean, why does one write a manual on how to break up with friends? Um, mm-hmm. Two answers. The first answer is I love the brain and I think it's amazing what our brain does to us and what it can do and what goes on behind the scenes that we're not even aware of. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of research, which I'm sure we'll get into, about what happens to your brain when you're exposed repeatedly to someone who's toxic for you. Um, and I think there's so much research on it and we know we've really well established that it's so bad for your body and your brain and your stress levels. Mm-hmm. Yet we don't really talk about it with friendship. Um, and the second reason was because I'm just a real person who has <sighs> been through some really shitty friendships in the past, especially in my twenties where I was giving and giving and giving and hoping that, you know, these people would somehow by me giving more to the friendship that they would change their ways and treat me with kindness and and love and the tenderness Mm -hmm. that I treated them with. Uh, And that did not happen. And I think when you hit 30, you have that epiphany and the wake up call of, you know, hitting 30 and you kind of reassess things and you go, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, I actually kind of had this realization that, that, that this fear of, you know, not being able to make new friends or being alone, that, that fear was keeping me tied to some toxic people. Um, mm-hmm. And so I couldn't make any space in my life for kind of people. Yeah, because it is something that like once you're out of school, it can be really hard to make new friends. Mm, yeah, that's a common, I hear that a lot. People say that a lot to me. How do you make new friends? I can't make yeah. new friends. Um, firstly, everything starts with a period of stillness. Uh, mm-hmm. It's okay to be alone. It's okay to have the money, the time, the energy that you would have given to a toxic person and put that back in your own pocket. Uh, oh, I'm yeah, sure like people <laughs> listening, I'm sure half the people listening are exhausted and tired. I mean, you and I are both exhausted right now. <laughs> like we could all do with a bit more sleep, right? Yeah. Um, you can go and do something beautiful for yourself and choose something that you enjoy. And there's so many avenues now, like meetup groups and Bumble Friends and like Mm -hmm. just so many pursuits out there, bouldering and rock climbing and salsa classes and watercolor, whatever, (laughs) you know, more more activities than you can poke a stick at. Um, If you go and you enter into a community, you will find you're exposed to other people. And if you do that with some regularity because you actually enjoy what you're doing, then you will keep seeing those people again and again and again. If you actually put an active effort into forming new relationships, Mm. new relationships will form. A lot of people say, I can't make new friends. I don't know how to make new friends. Well, have you actually really put yourself in a situation where you could make new friends and you continue to see those people again and again and again? Um, And a lot of people don't actually take the step of putting themselves in that situation in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can be like kind of an interesting time right now because we're connected so much on social media that like you feel like you're, you know, making friends online and talking to people online and you are, but like to actually take that step outside of your bedroom and go and (laughs) physically meet up with someone, it's so much more fulfilling. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, the things that I've done have been, well, pursue your own interests. So I'm really interested in things like I want to learn to salsa and I want to learn to bachata, which is another form of dance. And so I went and joined... (laughs) <laughs> I went and joined a dance school and now I teach at that same dance school and I've been included in the community, the tight-knit community of people who go dancing every single week. I see them, you know, three or four times a week and guess what? 
I have a bunch of new friends. So if you invest in something you enjoy and you go out and you learn it and you see these people again and again and again, you will actually start to make friends if you Mm -hmm. have the time and energy to keep going and attending something that exposes you to other people. But you got to put the effort in. You can't just expect them to spontaneously, you know, appear in front of you that it doesn't work that way. Yeah, no, for sure. And once you've sort of made those new friends, how do you determine if they're sort of a healthy relationship or like, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. How do you know if someone's a toxic friend? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I think we would we would be chatting for a very, very long time if I if we went through all of the things that, that <laughs> defined a toxic person and all the things that they could do to you. Yeah. Sometimes it's really obvious and it slaps you in the face like a wet fish. It's so obvious, you know, it's really <laughs> overt behavior. Like they call you an idiot. They insult you. They, mm-hmm. they put you down in front of other people. Um, they're aggressive. They're a bully, you know, uh, other times it's more subtle and covert and, and sort of almost, you don't realize it's even happened until after it's happened where they've been passive aggressive or they've gaslit you or they've been manipulative in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think the best sign person, I talk about this in the book, like it's really, it's really important to define the behavior if you can. And we do a behavioral modification exercise in the book where, where I get you to figure out, well, what actually is the toxic behavior through mm-hmm. a bunch of different neuropsych steps. Um, and I think the, the key of this one is, well, how do you feel? Your feelings are a really, really good signpost that something's wrong. So if you are about to go to an interaction with this particular friend and you're feeling that anxiety in your belly, like, oh my God, am I going to get the Jekyll or the Hyde today? Are they going to be nice to me? Are they going to be mean to me? Because you know, you've had some bad interactions with them. Or if during the interaction you feel crummy and crappy because of the things that they're saying to you, you feel ashamed or put down or embarrassed, or they make you feel pathetic in some way. And Mm -hmm. particularly if you leave the interaction feeling worse than before you entered the interaction. So if you feel exhausted, they're lovely, but they just zapped you of all your energy and you feel utterly, utterly drained and exhausted, or you're just feeling more stressed out or, or, or worse in some way than beforehand, that is a really, really good signpost that something is not right here because you're not supposed to feel that way when you leave an interaction with a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've definitely felt that, especially like the energy. I call them energy vampires. <laughs> when you yeah. leave and you're just so tired, you need to have a nap after seeing someone. Yeah, yeah that's that that means that the the give take is really out of whack. Mm-hmm. And what would um what would some reasons be that someone could sort of be acting in this way, like the put downs mm. and like or the, even oh the God. subtleties? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I could literally write a book on it. There's <laughs> actually there's a whole a whole chapter in there about you know the different mentalities of why friends might behave the way that they behave and also Mm -hmm. why you accept that behavior. And it's everything from the really, like, there's a lot of hard truths in the book. I call them no bullshit bombs because they're they're hard truths. It's hard to hear it sometimes. But sometimes the answers are things like, you know, they needed a chair filler you know, you got invited to the thing because oh. they wanted more guests at the thing, right? Yeah. Or 
you, you know, you got used, you just downright got used or they're emotionally unavailable. Like, you know, they've they've got a little bit of toxic masculinity and they don't Mm. know how to show any of their emotions all the way down to things like, are they envious or jealous perhaps of of what's going on? And to the point that jealousy actually has its own chapter in the book because it's so, so complex and so common. Um, And we have questionnaires in the book about, you know, are you a jealous person? Are they a jealous person? So you can figure out, well, who's who's in the wrong here? Because um, uh, it's such a complex topic. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's kind of like, if you know the what, you don't need to know the why. So mm-hmm. the what is, well, what's the behavior that they're doing that's inappropriate? And you can call out inappropriate behavior pretty clearly. Like, you hit me. You called me an expletive. You, mm-hmm. you called me an idiot. You stole from me. Whatever it is, that's a clear-cut behavior. Um, it's very easy to point out what the what is and tell somebody not to do that again. It's really tricky to figure out the why because you can never get in somebody else's head. Mm -hmm. You can never figure out why a person like, I mean, I don't know about you, Katie, but if you've ever been dating before and you cannot figure out why didn't that guy call me back? I thought it was a great (laughs) date. You will never be able to figure out somebody else's why Mm -hmm. unless they explicitly tell you, which they so rarely do you will never know for sure what the why is. So don't worry about the why because you're just never going to know that. You can try and yeah. guess it, but you might be wrong. Just stick to the to the what and mm-hmm. call out inappropriate behavior when it happens. Yeah. And is there a way that like, so say if someone's in a toxic friendship and they're, they've called out the behavior, is there a way to sort of move into a healthier friendship or is it like, yeah. okay, you're in a toxic friendship, um, you've called it out, they're not going to change, you just have to sort of cut that person off? Oh, good question. Um, totally depends. Totally depends. I don't think, personally, this is my opinion, I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and goes, whose life am I going to ruin today? I don't think people do things because they deliberately want to hurt you. It's very, 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 very rare somebody is like truly a psychopath who actually just genuinely wants to cause harm and be malicious. Most mm-hmm. people do things because from their perspective, they're doing what they think is right based on all the information that they have and all the resources they have and under the pressure of life that they're going through. And we've all been there. We've all had times where, you know, uni's been crazy, life's been crazy. We've had emotional stuff going down mm-hmm. and we haven't been able to be as available or we've been a bit more snippy than we usually are and we're a bit more short-tempered. We've all had times where we've been struggling. It Having a tough time never gives someone a whole pass to treat you like crap. Like that's mm-hmm. it's not you get out of jail free card. But I suppose the, the point of the matter is you are allowed to communicate when somebody's done the wrong thing and mm-hmm. say, you know, when you called me an idiot, it hurt me. Please don't do that again. Or when you cancelled our plans last minute, it, it meant my morning was wasted. Please don't do that again. Now, that's for them to hear. That's for them to hear. And when they hear that, yep, that's my little slap on the wrist. Don't do that again. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do it again. If they continue to do it again, well, you know the saying, fool me once, shame on you. Yeah. Fool me twice, shame on me. That is your cue that this person is repeatedly crossing the boundaries that you've clearly said it's inappropriate for you to do that. And that's where you need to have the self-respect and the self-worth to go, oh my gosh, it's not okay for you to treat me like this. I told you not to call me an idiot. I told you not to speak to me like that because it hurts me. And you've just 
done it again. So I guess, I guess it's those repeat offenders that you really need to be conscious of Mm -hmm. because they're the ones who, yeah, those are probably the ones who are toxic and whatever they're going through, maybe they're having a rough time at that point, but you need to make some decisions about your boundaries and how much time and energy and money you're going to invest in continuing a relationship with somebody who has made it pretty clear that they don't respect you. Yeah, no, definitely. I've like, you're saying these things and I'm like thinking of certain situations I've been in. And one thing that like I did was someone continuously, you know, did the same thing or wasn't there for me in the way that I've sort of like had expressed that I needed my friends to be there Mm. at that time. And, um, sort of like a ghosting situation, I guess, but for friends. And I just sort of took them out of you know, my inner circle where I put my most energy and they just sort of sit on the outer circle now and uh we catch up every Mm -hmm. now and then. But it's not like I have to feel so bad because I'm putting so much energy into something that I'm not getting back. Love it. Yeah. And I mean, I think that kind of touches on some of the science of friendship, which is like, you know, that it's not a dichotomy. It's not this black and white, you're a friend or you're not a friend. Mm. There's Researchers think that there are levels of social complexity that your brain can handle. So, mm. you know, you think of the size of your brain, think of the size of like a bird's brain or a dog's brain or our brain. Yeah. Obviously, they're different sizes. And the bigger the brain, the more you can kind of handle, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's not that rule doesn't always hold. I mean, elephants must have a bigger brain than us, but it's not always exactly <laughs> the same. But essentially what researchers think is that there are levels to the complexity that your brain can handle. So there's a number called the Dunbar number, which is how many really, 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 really close relationships can your brain handle. So mm-hmm. I'm talking people who are so close, you speak to them practically every day. Um, they're the person who walks in on you while you're in the shower, um, <laughs> you know, super, super close friends yeah. or super, super close uh, family members or partners. So that could include, you know, your mom, your your sister, your brother, maybe one best friend or your child even. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we think it's about five people that your brain can handle on this level. And it makes sense because you only have so much time in your day. If you mm-hmm. think about in a day, how many people do you interact with? Well, it's probably not 20 of your closest friends because you just don't have that much time in the day. Yeah. Um, and then the next level of intimacy is less close friends, closer friends, but less close friends. And you can have like 15 to 20 people in that list. And if you think of, you know, your 15 to 20 close friends, you probably only chat with them maybe once a fortnight, possibly, mm-hmm. maybe once a week if you're lucky. Um, but really contacting 15 to 20 people in a month, that's a lot of people. That's at least one person a day almost. So yeah. your brain can only handle so many people at, at a single level. So it's, it, you know, it's not really about having oodles and oodles of friends, but having some good quality ones that like it's quality over quantity, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you have a friend that you've had to pull back on a little bit, maybe they haven't done anything as heinous as, you know, I need to break up with you, but yeah. I'm not going to have you on my inner, inner, inner level because I, that, that energy is really precious. Mm. Um, and so they, people move up and down those levels all the time throughout your life. So sometimes as the relationship ebbs and flows, you will be able to give more and sometimes you'll be able to give less because mm-hmm. of what's going on in each of your lives. And that's actually perfectly normal. 
Yeah, I think that's really great as well because I know that I have friends that I was super close with in high school and then we drifted apart and then now in you know my mid to late 20s we're close again. So yeah. it's like nice yeah. to know that you can sort of go up and down that sort totally. of scale. Yeah, especially as your lives um, intersect and move apart based on what you're doing with your life. So at uni, yeah, you might be super, super close. Or at mm-hmm. school, you might be super, super close because you see each other every day. But then you both go off and one person gets a boyfriend and gets married and has children and the other person goes and starts a business or something like that, runs an amazing podcast, for example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your your lives kind of change based on what energies you're putting into we, we actually call it a di- didactic withdrawals which basically means your energy is shifting into yeah. forming a new part of your identity mm-hmm. um and so as you do different things your circles kind of move away and if you overlap again it's probably because you're having similar experiences in life again again that's totally normal yeah yeah definitely um before you mentioned boundaries and it's something that I didn't really, I knew about in relationships, but I didn't really sort of put that into the same context as friendships until Mm -hmm. quite recently Um, with actually situations around, you know, COVID, I had to sort of put in more boundaries because people were sort of, you know, taking it in different sort of seriousness. And so that's something that came into my friendships like last year And I was wondering, like, what's the best way to go about putting in boundaries in a friendship? Is it something that, like, you should do at the start of Mm. the friendship or just as it goes Mm. along? Yeah. Um, Well, that's a great question. Um, I guess you have to kind of play it by ear. Everybody has things that make them feel safe in a friendship. Mm. I, I think you would be a little bit, uh, unique if you sat somebody down at the beginning of a friendship and said, right, okay, now no, no expletives, you know, no cancelling within 24 hours. Um, you know, that, that might make you a little bit unique. Um, I don't think you need to set the rules explicitly at the start mm-hmm. of a friendship. There's certain rules that are just assumed, right? We have social yeah. norms and social rules. Like it is polite and kind to respect somebody's ta- time, to be courteous, to say please and thank you, all of those things. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you borrow money, you return the money. Um, there's there's sort of like unspoken agreements and social graces, we call them. But do they know typical social graces? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? Yes, you can give people the benefit of the doubt that, Maybe you were so super, super close that they treat you like their siblings and their siblings, they tease and they they are a little bit ruder around because they're family and lucky yeah. you, they treat you like family. So they're also <laughs> a bit rude to you. Um, now we can sort of like give them the benefit of the doubt and assume it's coming from a place of total ignorance and they didn't mean to be so rude to you. But it's your job, it's your responsibility, it's your necessity to tell somebody when they have been inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And I think this strikes fear into the heart of everybody listening because (laughs) when I say communication, everybody rolls their eyes and they go, oh, God, I would never, I could never. Like, (laughs) When was the last time you actually said to somebody, hey, when you interrupted me over and over again in that conversation, it actually really upset me. Like, can you please not do that again? People, people get scared of yeah, doing that. Yeah, I'm scared right now. 
<laughs> yeah, we're getting sweaty palms. Um, people, people think that it's um, people think that it's a confrontation bomb. You know, I said it before. Like, oh my gosh, if I call somebody out on their crappy behavior, I am detonating a confrontation bomb that's going mm-hmm. to explode all over the walls, and it will be like the scene of Carrie where she's covered in the blood, and it's ah horror film. No, 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 no. Um, women especially really struggle with this one. If yeah. somebody's done something inappropriate. Yeah, it can be awkward if you suddenly like, you know, throw your swipe everything off the table in a dramatic <laughs> scene and stand up and put your arm on your on your forehead and say, "Don't ever speak to me again." <laughs> yes, that is awkward. But that's not what you're doing. What you're doing is you're saying in a really calm vo- voice with calm, open body language, "When you called me an idiot, it actually really hurt my feelings." Mm-hmm. Can you please not call me an idiot again? You're yeah. not saying it in a horrible manner. You're actually saying it with integrity. And you're doing them a kindness and respect because, one, they learn you can't treat people like that. If they're treating mm-hmm. you like that. Who else are they treating like that? You're teaching them. That's not how you treat people. And, two, you're giving them the opportunity to correct the behavior so that they don't put their foot in it again. Yeah. And if they don't put their foot in it again, hooray, relationship preserved. Mm-hmm. But if somebody doesn't know that the shit exists, it's really hard for them not to put their foot in it. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so you need to be able to feel comfortable communicating it. And you know what? If it is really intimidating and really scared, scary for you, there's lots of scripts in the book where I say how you can explain this to your friend in mm-hmm. a way that makes you feel like you're not being the bad guy and you're doing it with integrity. So there's lots yeah. of different scripts in the book that you can use. But it's okay to put it in text. It's actually Mm -hmm. okay for you to write in a text message after the fact, after it's happened. Like you don't have to do it in person. You can send them a message later and say, hey, I noticed during, you know, today's lunch, um, you actually mentioned my opinion about X, Y, Z. And the way you spoke about me in front of our friends, it actually kind of hurt my feelings when you put me down and and said that my opinion was unintelligent or whatever it was that they did. And then you can just say, can you not? can you please not speak about me in front of our friends like that again? Because it really hurt my feelings. Yeah. You can put that in a text. You can say these words in text messaging if you're if you're not feeling com- comfortable with doing it in person. That's totally okay. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, I always do it in text. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely that texter person. <laughs> but, Nothing wrong um, with that. It's so scary. But then every time I do it, I notice my relationships get a lot closer and I also feel a lot stronger within myself. Like, yeah, hey, I stood up for myself. Like that sort of makes it a bit easier the next time to do it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think, you know, I've been there. Like I've had somebody say to me, one of my girlfriends said to me, like I had to, I don't think we'd, we'd firmed up brunch plans or something like that Mm -hmm. and she thought that we had and so then on the morning of I was like oh sorry I I didn't realize and it was because I'd missed some texts and I hadn't really paid attention because I was busy with work whatever reason and she just said really like politely and honestly hey you know next time can you please like let me know ahead of time because it meant my morning got a bit wasted because you know I thought we had plans and I was like oh my god I was so mortified that I'd done that to her and you know what I never did it again 
Yeah. And it, I was really glad that she told me that because then I could really make sure I was on my A game in terms of making sure that I showed her I respected her time every day mm-hmm. thereafter. And people make mistakes all the time. Like, it's okay to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And if we stuff up in the friendship, of course, we hope that our friend would give us the benefit of the doubt, give us a little bit of leeway, give us that little slap on the wrist when we need it, and then we move forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, if someone is actually feeling like a lot of this is resonating with them and they're maybe thinking like, oh shit, am I a toxic friend in the relationship? (laughs) What is something that they can do to maybe like rectify the way that they're sort of slipping into this role like more, I guess it's something that, yeah, they're sort of slipping into this role in the friendship and they want to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's a really mature and woke thing to do, to have the emotional intelligence to say, you know what, I think that the way I behaved because I was drunk or because I'm going through a lot of issues right now made that interaction with my friend really bad. And I I think I was actually a bit rude to them because my jealousy got triggered or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. I think the nicest thing or the best thing I can advise the person to do is, and it's obviously it's all unique to every individual, but like my opinion is, you know, having an honest conversation with your friend where you approach them and and you sort of say, extend the, extend the apology and say, look, you know, I know that last night's dinner didn't go the way that we'd planned. And I just want to let you know, I I feel quite bad about the way I behaved or what it was I did. I I just want, you know, I'm really sorry. And I've been going through a lot and it's made me a bit sloppy with Mm -hmm. my friendship skills and I I want you to know I'm aware of it and thank you for being so patient with me and I'm really sorry that I did that to you Um, and I'm working on not doing that again. Uh, And, you know, if there's times in your life where you just need to invest a little bit more energy in yourself right now, it's okay for you to let your friend know that too. It's all about communication. Like I'm going through a lot right now. Mm-hmm. You know, mum's going through chemo. I'm I might be getting laid off at my work right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going through a lot right now. Explaining to them why maybe you spoke the way you did or did what you did because you got less energy in the tank. That's okay as well. If it's from something more deep rooted, like, you know, I mentioned jealousy and and I have a, a whole chapter on jealousy mm-hmm. in the book if they're the jealous one or if you're the jealous one, you know, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. And it's okay to actually be jealous of somebody because it means you admire something that they have achieved. And the Dutch have really, really, really great terms for different types of jealousy. They've got benignant and afterconst jealousy, which basically just translates to benign jealousy or malicious jealousy. So you can have a benign envy of someone where you appreciate what they've achieved with their life. And I can go, oh my gosh, Katie, I love this podcast. I I am so envious that you created this amazing podcast and I want to be like you one day. (laughs) Whereas a, a malicious envy would be if I was undermining you in some way. And I was like, oh, Katie's just got that that stupid little podcast and put you down <laughs> or I left a really horrible review or somebody did something yeah. that actively undermined you or tried to sort out to hurt mm-hmm. you in some way. Um, like a troll, it, I guess. When it, yeah. And it's when it sort of slips over into that malicious behavior mm-hmm. when that that's when you're, you're doing the wrong thing. It's okay to be envious of what someone's achieved. It's okay to approach somebody and say, look, I am so... Um, in awe of what you've managed to achieve here. And I would really like to learn from you so that I can achieve that one day. That's Mm -hmm. a goal that I have as well. 
Um, or, you know, I'm a little bit self-conscious that I earn less than you. So when we mm-hmm. go to these expensive bars and you shout rounds, I feel a little bit embarrassed that I can't shout around too because I can't afford it. Um, yeah. And it's making me feel insecure when we go out. Or I am not as confident around the opposite sex when we go out on the town, whereas mm-hmm. you are. And I feel like all of the attention always goes to you. And it's not really fun being the wallflower while your friend chats up a whole bunch of other people while I stand there holding a drink and trying to look like I'm not completely bored out of my mind. Can the next time we go out, can it be more about us just talking together rather than getting the opposite sex attention? Mm-hmm. If you let somebody know what your insecurities are and what your trigger points are, they can avoid triggering them by putting you in a situation that makes you feel insecure. And also they might even be able to help you to achieve that amazing thing that you're envious of yourself. So again, it it again comes back to communication. First, you need to identify that you have this insecurity, which is amazing. That's a superpower. If you know what your buttons are, then you can stop people from pushing them without your consent, right? Mm -hmm. But you need to know what those insecurity buttons are to stop people from taking control over your emotions. So, you know, read the book, figure out what's going on within you and within your heart and what's triggering you. Mm-hmm. And then when you're brave enough, have a conversation with a friend about what's triggering you. Or yeah. at the very, 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 very least, if you don't feel like you can tell them yet, you know what's triggering you and you can dictate the terms of the next meeting so that it doesn't um, it doesn't push your insecurity button. Maybe if you feel like your friend always gets the attention off the opposite sex, well, make the interaction a brunch at, you know, the local, um, I don't know, the local markets in on yeah. Sunday morning. And it's yeah. not about getting dressed up and going out of the town. Boom. Suddenly that's a completely different scenario that's not triggering your insecurity. Or if you're worried about prices and cost and being able to afford stuff, well, then make it a cheap and cheerful pub meal or make it a walk and a coffee the next time you interact. Your insecurities don't have to ruin a beautiful friendship with somebody because you have the power over them now and you're not letting other people push those insecurity buttons without your consent. Yeah, those are such good tips. Um, thank you for sharing <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, girl, I'm 33 now. Like, I got, <laughs> I've got it all. I mean, I'm not 33. I'm 33 in a month. I'm still 32. Um, but yeah, I've I've lived it. I've breathed it. I get it. I get it. It's hard. It's, it's yeah. bloody hard. And it hurts. It really, really hurts. But I think the more we actually sit in the active driver's seat of our own mental health and we take some control over figuring out what is my computer coding that is mm-hmm. programmed me to see the world this way? What are my buttons? Then then if you know what your buttons are that trigger you, then you're much better at stopping other people from pushing them without you realizing. Yeah. Especially and, and people that you key. love. Yes, yes. The key to mental health is knowing yourself better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where it begins. Yeah, for sure. No, jealousy is something I feel like comes up a lot in female friendships, um, like just Mm. stereotyping. But from my experience, it's come up more in my female friendships. And one key moment was when I was struggling to find a job in Paris and I was just like applying, Mm. applying, applying and like not getting anywhere. And my friend who was in an English speaking country in the same field as me, was just doing so well in her career Mm -hmm. and it was like I sort of had to tell her you know 
I'm getting I'm getting jealous every time that you talk about like this amazing new mm. job that you have or this amazing new pitch that mm. you're going to make and but it got mm. to a point where she sort of stopped telling me about it at all and I was just like okay no oh. I didn't want that either because this is a huge part of your yeah. life it's just you know being a bit more sensitive about it <laughs> yeah and you know what that's beautiful that's fantastic because that describes the give and the take of a normal relationship where you're able to say oh, do you know what? I'm actually a little bit sensitive about this right now. And she's gone, oh, okay, cool. I love you. I don't want to trigger your insecurities. I won't mention it. And then you've gone, oh, wait, hang on. No, it's okay. You don't need to taper it back that much. I do still want to hear about how your life is because I love you. And then you find the beautiful, happy middle ground. But you cannot find the happy middle ground unless both parties communicate with one another. Mm -hmm. So that is an example of a friendship save, which is fantastic, (laughs) Katie. And it's (laughs) thriving. I'm happy to update. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) If someone does get to the point where they're ready to break off the friendship. They've tried all of these tips that we've given. Um, What's the best way to go about it without ghosting or hurting someone else's feelings? Oh, God, this is a great (laughs) question. Um, I feel like this is, and I I will say, this is definitely a man and woman thing. It's not just Mm -hmm. a women thing. Men are totally 100% guilty of toxic friendships and being a little toxic themselves and being passive-aggressive themselves, and men ghost too. Uh, (laughs) So it's not just a trick, though. Um, I think there are different options. When you have followed all the steps and the procedures of, of a friendship breakup and you know, I can't stress enough, like (laughs) there is a process to breaking up with friends, just like there's a process to ending any relationship in your life. You don't, I mean, the best advice I can give if if you're not going to take the time to read a book about it is just for the very least, do not do it in the heat of the moment, right? Mm. Don't do anything in the heat of the moment. So, you know, if you're a couple of wines down and (laughs) Sheila has just like, said something really insulting about your outfit that's not the time <laughs> to have it out with Sheila and break up with Sheila over the dinner table when you're halfway through your mains um <laughs> that's that ain't the time the the whole idea of a friendship breakup is that you've already laid the foundations and the groundwork in the lead up to the friendship ending mm-hmm. so well before you made the decision you've actually already communicated well hopefully you've communicated what the person has done that's upset you or hurt you. You know, when you put me down, that hurts me. When you speak to me in that way or with that tone of voice, that hurts me. When you call me those names, that hurts me. When you don't return my money, that hurts me. Whatever mm-hmm. it might be, um, you've already communicated that that was inappropriate. Of course, there's situations where someone's done something completely unforgivable, like maybe they hooked up with your boss or, you know, they stole <laughs> your job or they, they burnt your house down. I don't know. Um, <laughs> they've done something completely and utterly inappropriate and, and there is no... There is no preamble and you just are ending the friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, it totally depends on your situation. I do I do give scripts in the book of, of options that you can use for how you phrase things and how you mm-hmm. phrase the breakup end that, that helps you to have integrity. And I think that's the key word. It, it's yeah. just whatever you choose to do, whether it's, like pulling back in terms of how much effort and energy you're going to put in that relationship or whether it's a all out, I am communicating to you that I am ending this relationship. 
you need to make sure that everything that you do or say has integrity because Mm -hmm. trust me, it's a small world and you never know if you're going to be walking down the street and you're going to see that person again. Oh my God, you're always going to do it. Yeah, it's always that one day the might cross and they, maybe they're, you know, they're on the panel of your next job interview or, or whatever. Oh Who gosh. knows? So you want to just make sure everything you do, you do with integrity. And when you look back on it, whatever you said and did was done in a respectful manner. So it's not about airing all your dirty laundry. He said, she said, you did this, yeah. whatever, like going through all the, the horrible things. It's about communicating my mental health isn't in the place anymore where I can continue to give this relationship the time and energy that it needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can communicate. I'm not, in, I'm not in a point where I can discuss the reasons why I've, you know, uh, I'll let you know in the future if that changes and that's okay. That's totally okay for you to do that. It's okay for yeah. you to take control over the situation and just communicate to the person. I am readjusting time and energy I'm putting in this relationship and if you're not in a position to divulge why that is yet, because you're still hurting, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Um, and if you want to do that in person, good for you. But I think doing something like that, I actually think that it's okay to do it over messaging as well. Yeah. Um, and some people might really think that's controversial. I, I <laughs> we don't live in the 90s anymore. It's not an episode of Seinfeld. It's not an episode <laughs> of Sex and the City where she's getting broken up with with a post-it note. Like <laughs> Texting is different nowadays. Texting is very different. Um, and we do everything over text messaging. It's a new form of communication for us. It's yeah. totally okay for you to write out a very well thought out, carefully worded message mm. that explains that your mental health is no longer in a place where you can continue to give the time and energy to the relationship that it deserves mm-hmm. in order to be a friendship um, and that you wish them all the best and, and you're not in a position where you can discuss it any further right now, but you'll let them know if that changes. You can do that. You're you're allowed to do that. And it also gives the, the person you're breaking up with the privacy to read the message and decide how they want to respond. Um, yeah, and that's a good point. And often than not, yeah, more often than not, if you if you do things not in the heat of the moment, that's when you avoid the back and forth messages where you're writing them in a huff too quickly and mm-hmm. you look back and you go, oh, I shouldn't have sent that message. Don't yeah. let everything sit. Let everything sit for a few hours before you send it. Mm-hmm. So craft your message, figure out exactly what you want to say, sit on it for a little while, then send it. And whatever message you get in return, any reply that you send back you need to think about it before you hit send. And I would give yourself a cooling off period of at least three hours. Yeah, definitely. That's a, I wish I honestly had your book like 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Would have saved me so much. (laughs) I know, right? I wish I had my book when I was in my 20s. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that's why you write it. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Um, If someone's been, okay, so... If there's a situation where someone hasn't done that breakup text or, you know, in-person really um, beautiful way to end the friendship and they've just sort of been ghosted, Mm. what, like, how can you deal with that as Mm. the person that's been ghosted? Like, you don't have any information on why Uh. this person's just disappeared. They're not answering Uh. your calls or, like, anything like that. Like that can be really, really, really hard to deal with, especially having no closure and not knowing if you did something wrong. Do you have any advice? 
<laughs> that is, oh my God, closure. We love it. We need it. We want it. We yeah. must have it. Um, it hurts so much when you don't know why somebody's done something to you because it feels really unfair. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants to state their piece. Everyone wants to state their perspective. Um, nobody feels like they're in the wrong because, of course, you know what you did to the nth degree. You know everything mm-hmm. you did and you can see the reasons why you did everything. Yeah. But they can't see the reasons why you did everything. So, of course, we want to explain things from our own perspective. I mean, I, I go back to the what and the why. If somebody yeah. has decided that they're going to cut you off out of their life, I mean, that's a pretty big move. That's a pretty big thing to do to a person where you've made a decision you're going to end the friendship without communicating at all mm-hmm. that in itself is, is signaling to you the level of respect that that person has for you at this time yeah. and and for your own sake you you do need to have the self-respect within yourself to, to recognize that that's kind of unfair for you I'm not an advocate for ghosting I don't think ghosting is the way to go about things I I'm happy for I agree people need to pull back their effort and their time and their energy levels but not 100 <laughs> not ghosting yeah ghosting is a totally pretending feigning your own death um is a completely <laughs> different kettle of fish um so you know I think in those situations, yeah, you might feel like you could send some kind of a message to say, listen, I can see our friendship has changed and I, I, you've, you're not speaking to me anymore. I just wanted to reach out to you one last time and ask if we could have a conversation about it. I'm sad to lose your friendship. I would like to try to discuss it um, mm-hmm. and rectify it if possible or at the very least have a, a conversation to just find out what it was that I did so I can learn for the next Mm -hmm. time. Um, And so we can both get a bit of closure if you're up for it. And then once you've sent that message, well, that's kind of it. Yeah, The ball's then in their court and more messages ain't going to change it. And I think that's that's where we need to resist the urge to send message after message and call Mm -hmm. after call to try and get in touch with them. If they want to get in touch with you, they'll get in touch with you. And if they don't want to get in touch with you, well, are they really a friend that you want to keep in yeah. your life? Oh my God, um, it's exactly again, like if, dating. <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah, exactly. If you know the what, you don't need to know the why. The mm-hmm. what is this person has cut me out of their life. That's a pretty brutal move. That's pretty yeah. big. Yeah. Um, and maybe one day after a couple of months or even a year or who knows, they might explain what happened and why if your paths cross again. But it ain't the time now. If they're not replying now, then it's best to let them have their time and let them do whatever it is they need to do. And you yourself can go talk to other people about it. I mean, I'm a big advocate for people going and talking to a psychologist. It's very Mm -hmm. easy to see a psychologist. You go to your GP, your GP writes your mental health care plan. You go and see a psychologist, go to Headspace, go to the uni Mm -hmm. campus. There's a lot of um, psychologists that bulk bill, which means you don't pay anything and Medicare pays it all for you. Have the conversation with somebody else. Get the closure another way. Write yourself a letter that you want to send to that person that goes through everything and why, you know, how it made you feel. You need to get your closure in other ways. And in fact, you don't need that person to speak to you to get closure on the situation. You can get closure yourself. Um, It's just most people feel like they need to speak to the individual. So that's the urge we need to resist. Mm -hmm. And we are stronger than our feelings. So you don't have to hound them. You don't don't need to be that person who's desperate for them to speak to you if they've already made it clear that you're not worth 
even a message of reply. Yeah. Yeah. And the same goes for dating, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it often, like friendship breakups feel so much worse. <laughs> I know. And I think it's it's kind of sad because, you know, friends are the only relationship we have that's not kind of blood or legal, right? Mm-hmm. So, in a workplace, you know, you're, you're bound by a contract. In, yeah. in a marriage, you're bound by a contract. In mm-hmm. a friend, in a family, you're bound by blood. Friends are really the only domain in our life that there is no contract, there is no blood, there is nothing kind of secondary bonding you with that person or binding you to that person. Yeah. So it is the one part of our life where we we can ghost people and unfortunately we do ghost people. You know, yeah. you can go to couples therapy, you can go to, you know, workplace mediation, but there's not really any such thing as <laughs> friend therapy, which I hope maybe will become a thing one day. Yeah. But, you know, we sort of have this disposable mentality with friendship, which is they're either my friend and it's great, or they're my frenemy and they treat me like crap, but I'm friends with them anyway, or I'm just going to ghost them out of my life. Like there mm-hmm. are more options than that. There are actually more options than that. And it starts with having the strength and the bravery to communicate when something's not right. And if you can master that skill in your life, that will serve you in every other area of your life for the rest of your life. That's so true. <laughs> yeah. Um, I job. wanted to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted to know the neuroscience behind toxic friendships and what sort of the impact having that repetitive toxic relationship Mm -hmm. can have on our brains because that's something that I have no idea about and I'd love to know. Yes, 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 yes. So, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of fight and flight. Most mm-hmm. people have heard of that system. Fight and flight is the the term we use, which is actually a, a, a colloquial term for something called your sympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. So in your body, you have all these systems that kick into gear that make your heart beat and your lungs breathe air and your blood move around and your food digest without you needing to consciously think about it. Like, Katie, do you need to think about blinking? That would suck if you had to think about blinking because then you would be like, <laughs> halfway through a conversation and blink and blink. (laughs) You don't want to think about those things. They have to happen automatically to keep you alive. So your system is hotwired and hardwired to have certain systems that keep you safe. So, you know, if there was a fire or if there was a tiger in the bushes, you need a fight and flight system to kick into gear immediately to protect you from that danger. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be really quick. So like if you've ever burnt your hand on a hot plate or on your GHD when you're straightening your hair, um, when we get a burn, we don't go, oh, it's burning me. I must, I better take my hand off it because if you have to think about it that slowly, you get a really bad burn, Yeah. right? So you just whip your hand away super quickly because your fight and flight system has kicked in and taken over without conscious thought. Mm-hmm. So what happens in your brain on a really, really complex level, because we're super complex, amazing creatures, we have this thing called the vagus nerve. And when I say vagus, I mean, yes, like viva Las Vegas, <laughs> like the vagus nerve, um, the A-G-A-S, vagus nerve, or mm-hmm. V-A-G-U-S. And that nerve is the thing that sort of signals to your brain, this person is a friend. This mm-hmm. person is an enemy. This person is a friend this person is a threat and it turns on and off based on the threat um that that person poses to you or the kindness that person poses to you so when you have somebody in your life 
and this is for friends, for family members, for work colleagues, for anyone. Mm-hmm. If you have somebody in your life who's performing a role, which is supposed to be a caring role, a kind role, a non-threatening role, so they're not emotionally or physically abusing you, they're supposed to be kind to you. If that person is supposed to be kind to you, but they're not being kind to you, so they're a friend who's passive aggressive and makes you anxious, or they're a partner who's being really horrible to you, or they're a workplace that's toxic, a toxic Mm -hmm. boss, your vagus nerve gets really confused and it can lose like a muscle. It loses muscle tone and it it gets worse at being able to recognize friends and foes and it starts intermittently firing. So when you're around, I know it's crazy, right? (laughs) So when you're around the toxic friend, your sympathetic nervous system starts firing, which Mm -hmm. is the thing that tightens your muscles, suppresses your digestive system, suppresses your sleep, gives you headaches, um, releases cortisol and adrenaline into your system, which are stress hormones, because it's preparing you to fight or fly your way out of the situation to get away, to survive. And when that chronically happens over time, you feel like crap and you feel Mm -hmm. really burnt out and you feel really run down and your immune system gets worse. And it has all of these long-term ramifications that at the end of the day, shorten our lifespan and make us have higher cardiovascular risks and do all sorts of negative things over time to us. It causes wear or tear on your body. Um, So, you know, when I say a toxic friend is is kind of hurting more than your feelings, I really mean it. Like they're hurting your brain. They're hurting your biology. No, they're really, really hurting you. And quid pro quo. A good friendship is like gold for your mental health because they have all the reverse effects of improving your health, improving your immune system, improving your financial success, improving your academic performance and lengthening your lifespan and staving off things like dementia. So, you know, you don't need to have oodles and oodles of shitty mediocre friends. You just need one or two really, really, really good quality friends to avoid having the crappy effects on your body and reap the benefits of all the amazing health benefits of having good friends. That is so crazy. I'm just like trying to wrap my head around. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're right. If someone comes yeah. out of a toxic relationship, whether that's a partner, a friend, or, you know, a colleague, how can they, is there a way that they can reverse those effects or is there a way that they can like do something to sort of get mm. their health back from that person that's taking yeah. it? Totally, totally. It's not all doom and gloom, I swear, Katie. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, your your body is like a pretty lazy machine, right? Your body and your brain are very lazy because they want to be as efficient as possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you make deductions and make deductions and make deductions from your emotional bank, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you're going to be in the deficit. You're going to be in the red. But if you get out of that bad situation and you're no longer making deductions mm-hmm. and you start actively making contributions to your emotional bank, so you mm-hmm. start taking care of yourself, you start going to bed on time, getting enough sleep, eating right, going to the gym, doing something you love, getting a massage, then you will actually turn off your fight and flight system your sympathetic nervous system, and you will turn on your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and restore system, which then helps you to grow muscles. It helps you to have the right um, endocrine system working in your body. It helps you to get good quality sleep. It stops you from aging. You know, Mm -hmm. it has all these amazing health benefits. So yes, you absolutely can reverse the effects of somebody who has treated you horribly. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it... (laughs) 
it takes an active effort, right? Yeah. It's so easy for us to just sit on the couch and turn on Netflix and just be passive mm-hmm. in our self-care. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm just going to have a night in and sit on the couch and not actually do anything with myself and end up feeling lonely and stay up mm-hmm. too late. And I don't really feel better for having done it. Whereas yeah. I'm going to go and sit on the beach in the sun. I'm going to eat a beautiful meal that I carefully made for myself. I'm going to go to a watercolor class because that feeds my soul. Mm-hmm. You know, actively being in the driver's seat of your mental health and making active contributions to your emotional bank is what really makes the change. Passive contributions to your emotional bank where you sit on the couch and you passively don't do anything, you just sit there, feels good. Like you're still in the red, mate. You're not going, you're not making a deduction, but you're not adding anything, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to make an active contribution. And, you know, if it's a really, it's been a really bad experience for you, which so many people have gone through, going and seeing somebody like a psychologist, that's like a hundred, that's like a hundred point contribution to your emotional bank. Because what you're doing is you're working on going through what happened to you. You're Mm -hmm. processing what happened to you. You're getting closure. You're identifying some of those core beliefs, that computer programming inside of you that's telling you, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Everybody hates me because somebody's brainwashed you to think that way. And you can start identifying that code in your your body and and getting rid of it and changing it Mm -hmm. and making it better. So... Yes, you can, you can, you can change and reverse the effects that accumulate on your body, but it ain't a passive process, baby. You got to go like with the gym, like, yeah, you can't make a muscle unless you do the work. And you know what? It's really, really good work and it feels good and it's so rewarding, but you just got to start. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's always the hardest to just go to therapy, go to the gym or whatever it is. But once you get there, you know, you feel better. Yeah. In the end. <laughs> and that's when you really get the elite advantage on life. People mm-hmm. who have the elite advantage, they're their smartest self, they're their wittiest self, they're their quickest self, they have their, their highest IQ points. Yeah. Those are people who feel happy and stable and well taken care of. And if you want to feel the best version of you, then you've got to start with the foundation. Start at the birth step, which is mm-hmm. your mental health. Everything flows from how you feel. So if you can feel good and stable and happy inside your heart and look in the mirror and love yourself, then yeah, you are going to have the elite advantage on life, baby, because so many people don't take the time to learn how to love themselves. Yeah, that is that comes up in so many of my episodes. So that is definitely the key. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Calling all lovers. <laughs> um, I have a couple of listener questions if you have time to answer them. Yeah, yeah, of course. Perfect. Okay, so the first one is written in and they say, my toxic ex-friend is pursuing a friendship with my close friend. Any advice on how to handle this? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a good question. Damn, that's annoying. (laughs) Well, first of all, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that you have a toxic friend and that they're slowly trying to ebb their way back into your life. Mm. Um, Look, I think it's just boundary setting, isn't it? Like, it's okay for your friend to have friends with other people. And you don't want to be, you know, um, you don't want to be the the negative Nancy who's like, you can't be friends with her. Like, obviously, you don't want to do that. 
So you got this, you got this. You can set boundaries. You can have interactions that don't involve the toxic person. And if those interactions do involve the toxic person, as soon as the toxic person does anything or says anything that's inappropriate, it's okay for you to say, please don't speak to me that way. Mm -hmm. Or please don't call me that. Or leave the interaction. You have the power here and you can put them in their place, right? And if they do something toxic in front of your other friend, fantastic. Then your friend can see what a toxic person they are. Yeah. So, you know, see, see, I told you. (laughs) Yeah. Let them fall face forward into a heap of their own poop. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) if they're going to do the poor behavior, then let them do it and you can be the boss lady who calls them out on it. Yeah. Oh my god, that's such a shitty situation, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I don't envy whoever wrote that. Mm, it's toughy. Yeah. Um, the next one says, "How to make peace with myself for breaking up with a friend, even though she was toxic? I'm still sad." Oh, yeah. Well, of course you're sad because you're grieving. You're grieving the loss of what might have been a very long friendship. You're grieving feeling alone, you're grieving, feeling um, sad that, that you went through a breakup. Like breakups are legitimate um, processes that have an impact on your body. You know, mm-hmm. some people, some of our best experts on breakups actually say go and have a Panadol when you break up with someone because your body is literally hurting. You're oh literally hurting. Yeah. The same part of your brain that processes physical pain, it's the same part of your brain that processes emotional pain. Oh. It's called the anterior cingulate gyrus. So, you know, when we have a broken arm and we we say to that person who has a broken arm, just snap out of having a broken arm. No, <laughs> we don't do that, do we? We don't do that. We just, we honor and we respect the fact that they're broken and they're hurting right now. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for your heart. Sometimes your heart gets hurt and you need to honor and respect it. And your relationship with your emotions doesn't have to be a negative one. Mm-hmm. Your emotions are there because they love you. They love you so, so much. They don't want you to ever settle for anything that's not right for you. Mm-hmm. So stress and sadness and anxiety, they're not the fierce dog barking in your head, screaming at you that you want to delete and get rid of. They're actually the beautiful little black Labrador that's come through the doggy door of your mind <laughs> and has put his knee, his head on your knee and is looking up at you with his beautiful big brown eyes and is saying to you, this wasn't right. This was hurting me. And I will never give up on you. And I will never let you settle for what's not right for you. So I'll always be here to signpost when something wasn't right for you. And so if you're feeling the hurt, embrace it, feel hurt, be sad. That's okay. You're allowed to be sad because you went through something that was really hurtful. And it'll take a little bit of time for you to feel, for you to grow around the grief and for your life to expand. But in time, you will expand around that grief and mm-hmm. it, it won't be as consuming. But what that means is getting on with your life and doing things that make you happy because those feelings are there for a reason and they're telling you that you're not happy and they're asking you to go and do something that makes you happy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's always going to be more people out there that you actually have time for now. Like you were saying at the start of the episode, if you get rid of these toxic friendships. You have so much more time to put into yourself to get through that pain yeah. and that grief and also to bring in Absolutely. beautiful relationships. 100%. That's it. Yeah. I have one last question and it says, mm-hmm. I'm fighting with school friends due to different morals and ethics. 
I don't want to lose friends though, so I'm not sure what to do. Ooh, great question. Yeah. Um, school is, this is a formative part of our lives because this is when, you know, people are becoming adolescents, becoming more mature, we're getting more liberties in life, got a bit of money in our pocket and we got <laughs> access to things, which might yeah. be people are starting to have sex. They might be starting to dabble with drugs. They might be drinking. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, I think it's amazing that you even had the, the, the person who wrote this question had the insight and the emotional intelligence to recognize we have different values. Mm-hmm. That's so woke of someone <laughs> at school to recognize that. Good on you. The fact that you recognize you have different values is fantastic. You're allowed to have different values with your friends. Um, the issue is when, if that the friends are not respectful of you, so mm. friendship is about trust, it's about support, it's about affection and respect. I go through the pillars in the book and explain each one in detail. It's it's the it's the respect part that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. You can have different values to your friends. They can choose how they want to spend their weekends and how you're going to spend your weekend and what you're going to be part of and what you're not going to be part of. If they try to force you or peer pressure you to do something you don't want to do, it indicates a lack of respect and a Mm -hmm. lack of respect of your boundaries. And that's when it's a problem. It doesn't have to be a problem until it becomes a problem. So if you communicate those boundaries, I don't want to drink, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do X and I don't want to do Y, please don't ask me again. Mm -hmm. I've told you I don't want to do that. You've just asked me again. Now I'm going to go home you are totally allowed to communicate that and be consistent in your communication of that. And if it keeps happening, well, then that's when we might need to consider a friendship breakup. And at the end of the day, I know everyone's afraid of winding up with no friends or being alone, Mm -hmm. but it's that fear. It's that fear of having no friends and it's that fear of being alone that is keeping you tied to toxic people. And -hmm. if they prove that they're a toxic friend, then yes, you can actually find friends who aren't toxic and who do respect your values, but you have to untie yourself and make space for those yeah. new friends. And that's yeah. okay too. Oh, wow. That was <laughs> a really great answer. And I'm sure that like so many people in school deal with that so often. It's like totally. definitely really common when I was at school. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I totally, totally. And that's such a great question. Good on that person for even recognizing that that was what was going on because so often we don't even realize it's happening until it's too late. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for coming Thanks on for the podcast. Me. I've learned so much. <laughs> it's incredibly interesting what you do. And the brain is just like, I. well, I can't even wrap my head around it. <laughs> It's the bomb. The brain is the bomb. And if you feed it the right info, then it will serve you in an yeah. amazing way. So thanks for having me and letting me chat about the brain because I love the brain. Thanks for listening. You can find all the links to purchase Hannah's book, How to Break Up with Friends, as well as her Instagram link at Noble Psych in the description below. I'll be back next week with another amazing guest. Have a great week. Bye.